Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. We're having a pretty good night, right? Pretty good night? Yeah. Man, all year long between summer camp and winter meltdown, we're always planning for all this kind of stuff, but when we, all the planning stops when you're all up here and we get to hear your beautiful singing voices and it's just awesome, but we're not done yet. We got more happening tonight. We have our speaker about to come up and I get the joy of introducing him. I could talk about the fact that he's like three feet taller than me and has wonderful curly locks of hair, but more important than all that is the fact that he's been partnering with the ranch for a very long time. He's been in ministry, teaching kids at a, uh, at a high school, speaking at local youth groups and other retreat conferences for over 20 years. And we get to welcome him here this weekend. So let's make some noise for Nate Garrett. Thank you, Sparrow. What? It's a guy? Oh, that guy. All right, all right. I was like, I don't know what they're saying. So it's kind of foggy up here. You guys look like you should probably get the patch or quit. Anyway, so I'm like, what kind of room are we in? This is kids. This is how the malls were when I was growing up. Seriously, like the bowling alley, the mall, anywhere you went, church, the back of the church where the deacons were. I mean, any... It was just like this. So um, some of you guys I recognize, like faces and everything. Some of the, when you guys were walking in, um, um, some of the scent I recognize as well from a couple of the boys. And uh, I'm just kidding. That's horrible. You ever walk up to somebody and say, uh, your face, I don't recognize, but your breath is familiar. You ever do that? Um, that's not true. So um, I, know, I know some of your churches from like past years of winter meltdown. Some of you guys, I did a D-Now weekend for you recently, uh, really recently. Like this is almost too soon. All right. So for you, I mean, like not for me, I'm glad to see you. Um, but just to fill in people who don't know who I am, I live in North Carolina. I think he said some of this stuff. Been in ministry for 21 years. Did he say that? So uh, he probably didn't mention that I've been married the whole time I've been in ministry. So I got back from our honeymoon and started at the church. I was getting ready to be on staff the next Sunday. Don't recommend that. If I could go back and do something different, I wouldn't have come in until probably Monday. Um, so uh, yeah, I've got three kids. I've got Luke and Leia are my oldest kids, and they're named after Star Wars characters. And Luke is 17. He's graduating this year. He's going to play college basketball. He just got signed for a Mid-Atlantic Christian and then Leia is a freshman in high school. She plays basketball. I don't know what it is about tall kids and people being like, guess what team we're signing you up for. But, um, but she plays basketball. And then my adopted son, we don't know how tall or short or whatever he's going to be because he's adopted. Um, but he's two and a half. His name's Ezra, also a Star Wars character. If you're like, oh, good, a biblical name. It's also a Star Wars character. Um, and he's awesome. The kid is like just turning two and a half-ish, if you can turn two and a half. Anyways, it's about two and a half. He knows his whole alphabet, all the sounds they make. He can count to 30. He can count backwards from 20. And then he goes, ah, because he goes to a lot of basketball games. He can count forwards to 15 in Spanish. And all of it's from some VTech table that is in his room that he's been like, he just doesn't like to get the wrong answers. I've literally taught him none of that stuff. So I'm just wrestling with him and teaching him to have fun. And all of a sudden he's like counting, 
in Spanish and stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is not like the kids that are biologically related to me. <laughs> this kid, like, is a thinker. I, like, I'm like, well, my kids were like, they didn't care. They were just like having trouble talking until they were five. I'm just kidding. It wasn't that bad. But, you know, it was a little bit. My oldest son had speech therapy. And like, I feel like if they had been the same age, Ezra could have given him speech therapy. So good stuff. Good stuff. I wish I could have brought him. He's the cutest thing. He's so funny. He would have given every one of you a fist bump because he thinks that everybody's in his family. Like the whole school I teach at. Um, we go to basketball games and we have him for like two seconds. Somebody's like, can we, can we have Ezra? I'm like, sure. And they're passing him. I can see him from anywhere in the gym, but he's like, every time I look at him, he's down like three more people. They're like, give me Ezra, you know? And the same thing in my youth group and any camps that I do bring him to, um, he, they're just like, the stroller gets taken out of my hand while I'm talking to somebody. I'm like, hey, you're going to have to bring him back. Can I get a receipt on that? You know? So anyways, he's having... He's having a blast in a way my kids didn't have a blast. I don't, I don't know what it is about two-year-olds, but he thinks he can just go anywhere and go with anybody. And somehow that's probably not a good thing to teach him. So um, if you have a white van, stay back. We're trying to already tell him about those, right? How many of you came here in a white van? Picked up by some adult who you're not related to. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll work on that. Was there candy in the van? I know, right? <laughs> Puppies? No, hopefully you didn't bring a dog here. All right, so our theme is freedom bound. Our theme is freedom bound, that we're, we're headed towards that freedom. But, you know, we were created with freedom. Like, that was that, like part of the original plan. And, and the freedom's different for different people. Everybody's got like a, a different, like when you think of freedom, you might think of Braveheart or something. If you older, like adults in here and be like, what will you do without freedom? You know, um, or the end, the prisoner, which is to say a word. Somebody yell it out. Yeah, there you go. All right. Or, or we think about like the Emancipation Proclamation, or we think about like being free or, or the Israelites getting freed from slavery in Egypt. And we think about that aspect, or we think about the, my neck of the woods, North Carolina people think when they think of freedom, they think, Nobody's going to tell me what to do, all right? I mean, that's really it. Like, they, they really were going to do the thing that they were told to do in the first place, but then somebody told them to do it, so now they're standing their ground. I'm like, what, what is going on? Like, as Americans, sometimes, you got to admit, we don't like to be told what to do, right? Is it true? Is it true? This is true? Okay, like, we just don't like being told what to do. It's just, it's not, it's just the principle of the matter. I am a free, I'm an American. I can do what I want. This is a free country. Anybody ever heard that phrase? It's free country. You know, like, and I hate when like, I'm like, is this seat taken? They're like, it's a free country. Like, they obviously don't want me to sit there. Like, I've, I've, I've gotten on monorails and buses and <laughs> different places and like, is this seat taken? They're like, free country. Like, that's the only reason you're gonna let me sit down? <laughs> if this was communist, you'd call like the Gestapo to come like drag me off to prison. Like, what? I don't want to sit with you now, right? But I, I do anyway, because that's interesting. I want to know why. What was it about me? Because some people think I look like Jesus, and other people think I look like a crazed homeless person. <laughs> but I was going for Jedi, so like, whatever. Anyways, all right, a kid said that. I was, I was speaking at an event recently. He was like, you kind of look like Jesus. I'm like, this is Jesus if he was way taller than Israelites in that era, and if he stayed on the earth for 10 more years and didn't exercise or eat right. All right, so 
Jesus. All right, so <laughs> later. So he left at 33. I am 43. If that is like, you're like, okay, I'm not listening anymore. 43, the guy's older than my dad. How many of you, I'm older than your dad? All right, put your hands back down. I don't want to ask that question. I don't even want to see the rest of the response. Put it down. Your dad's so young. Anyway, so. All right. So God created us with freedom. Freedom to pretty much do what we want. Now, if I just shared that message in America in general and be like, and you didn't know anything about God, I'm like, God made you to do whatever you want. You'd be like, I love God, right? Like, he made us with the ability to do whatever we want, which is different than he made us to do whatever we want. He knows what's best for us because he's the one who created us. Like if you made something and you knew what all went into that project and you know how fragile it is, fragile or whatever's written on the side there, this side up, all that stuff. You know how fragile your little diorama is as you're carrying it into school. Somebody's like, oh, that's cool. Let me see it. And they shake it real quick. Like that wasn't the purpose of this thing. And now nothing that I stuck in the little sticky tack goo stuff is standing. And then you're mad, right? Um, when you make something, you know what goes into it. You know the purpose for it. You know how to take care of it a little bit more. Same thing with God. He made you. He made you distinct. He made you different than anybody else. And he has a purpose for you. And he started that from the beginning. Now, we were born a little bit differently than Adam and Eve because they weren't really like technically born. He was like created from the dust of the ground. And still to this day, like any shade of skin color we have in here, you can find some dirt somewhere that color. Whether it's a white sandy beach or whether it's like topsoil or somewhere in between, red clay and Virginia, like any skin, I mean, that's so weird. And then like science knows that if, when you decompose, we turn back into dirt. Like everything in you is found in the soil. That's cool. That's like a little, a little proof for God right there, a little evidence for God that, that it, this wasn't just something made up. It wasn't like God said, like we find this ancient book and it's like, and the Lord formed him of the rocks of the mountain. And then we decompose and turn it into dirt. We'd be like, how were we from rocks? But this ancient book that records that we were made from dirt, and then science catches up way, way later, and they're like, guess what people turn back into? Dirt. You know, like, look what we discovered. It's like Genesis, all right? So, I mean, that, that's pretty cool. But God created us specifically with purpose, and then he allowed us to make our own choices. He set up a lot of good choices and just a little bit of boundaries. The good choices he set up was like every good fruit or vegetable you can think of. I don't know that that is that appealing to me. That's not a fruit joke. But the, uh, the vegetables, let's get to the root of this for a second. The ve- I'm just kidding. So um, let us move on. Um, so anyway, so we got... Who, somebody yell out your favorite fruit, like your favorite. What, well, hold on, well, what berries? Strawberries. And what over here? Lemon? Pineapple. Banana. I hear you, Mr. Minion. All right. This isn't working. Stop. All right. 
How many of you, your favorite, we're gonna go this way. Show of yells, show of yells. Um, that's like hands, but with your vocal cords. How many of your favorite fruit on the planet is a strawberry? Yeah, okay. Blueberry? Blueberry's like the slightly less flavorful berry. Strawberries are weird. They got the seeds on the outside just looking at you like, I'm going to grow in your belly. All right. Watermelon. Anybody like watermelon? It's one of my faves. All right. Dragon fruit. I'm just kidding. Um, we don't have access to that kind of stuff. Peaches. Anybody like peaches? Do you have peaches in the north? You do? They're old by the time they get there, right? Cherries. Cherry tomatoes. One of the people who probably argue that veggie tails should be fruit tails because the main two spokesmen are fruit. Right? Okay, let's go ahead and throw cucumber in there. Because that is a fruit. How about, how about cucumbers that have been put in embalming fluid? Pickles. The dead. Kiwi? That's your favorite? Oranges? The mandarin ones that are easy to peel? That are one bite, literally one bite. None of that flaky white stuff all over it that you're like, it's like orange hair, right? What? Pomegranate. And then she did this so I would know what a pomegranate was. You guys know what a pomegranate is. That's the most difficult fruit to get into. Hey, newsflash for a second. Early Christians thought the forbidden fruit was pomegranate because the Bible doesn't say it was an apple. It just says the fruit. So pomegranate, that would have been some premeditated sinning on Adam and Eve's part. That takes a long time. You got to get like a bowl of water, let the pulp float to the top, and wiggle out the seeds, then down the seeds. Like pomegranate juice is expensive. That little palmiful or whatever it's called looks like a little hand grenade <laughs> of bitter tartness. And you're like, mm, this is good. So, but really good for you. Oh, we forgot prunes. That's not really, yeah. Plums. It's a plum, right? Before it's a prune. Uh, raisins. For, grapes. Anybody grapes? Woo. Okay, Welch's fruit snacks. Let's go ahead and just include them. Made with real fruit juice. All right. So anyways, minus the Welch's fruit snacks, all of the fruits we mentioned and even more were in the garden. Everything. I talk about the vegetables, but it's not as... It's not as, I was going to say appealing again. I can't think of another word. It's not as good to think about, right? All the fruit is there. Vines and fruit that grows on like the berry bushes and stuff. And then you've got all the trees and stuff. And it's not like you can just overload your system with sugar because fruit has way more sugar. I understand some of you are like, you need the vegetables too. They're in the same category. But if you don't get some fiber. Anyways, um, all of those things didn't affect you that way because you could not die. So it didn't matter how much, like, how many, if you like bananas, it didn't matter how many bananas you ate. Like, you couldn't die, which means nothing that was going to happen to you. You're not going to really gain weight and stuff because that would lead towards something damaging and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you were perfect. Adam and Eve were perfect. And so God lined that up. He didn't start with, hey, now that you're alive, now that I made you from dirt, and now that you had the oddest birth ever because you came out of a dude's side. <laughs> the only man ever to give birth. He didn't even go into labor. He just fell asleep because men couldn't handle it. All right? God had to do surgery in his sleep. 
They don't knock women out to have babies because women are like, I got this. Just give me the man who's responsible to squeeze the bones out of his hand. Right? And so God tells them, you've got all of the fruit that you can eat, whatever you want. And by the way, there's this tree in the middle that if you eat from it, you'll die. Like, and your response might be, especially if you're not, if you're new to church and you just got like talked into coming here because they said paintball, horses, whatever. Uh, you're like, oh. And you were thinking you get to shoot horses with paintball or ride on a horse and shoot paintball. None of that's true. <laughs> you were lied to, all right? We have them separately, all right? So God told him, if you eat from that tree, you're going to die. And, and if you're new to church, you're thinking, why put it there then? That's what freedom is. Freedom doesn't always lead to feeling free or experiencing true freedom. Sometimes freedom can lead to bondage. But we have the choice to make on our own to do something that might be detrimental to us and we still do it. That's kind of, you're like, that's kind of just another day in the week for me. And, and me too. Like we, we make choices that are detrimental to us. And Adam and Eve made that choice to eat from the tree. Eve, yeah, Eve ate it first, guys. You'd be like, oh, it was the woman, yeah. It says then she gave to her husband who was with her. So cowardly man just stood there and watched to see if his wife would kill over at the moment. When she didn't, he ate some too. And what they didn't get was this body that wasn't dying and that didn't have that decay process in it at all began to die in that moment. And they died spiritually. And we'll talk more about that consequence tomorrow. But one consequence that, because we usually talk about sin and death and everything, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. But the biggest consequence is the rift that it put between them and God, because the fruit wasn't the best part of the garden. Being married to this woman wasn't the best part of the garden, and her being married to him wasn't the best part of the garden, and nobody else being around to compare it to or anything. That wasn't the best part. It was, it was being able to be in a relationship with the one who made them, the one they could ask anything of, and he actually knows. And he walks through the garden with them, and he communes with them. He is their friend. And he's holy, which means perfect, not, I think I'm better than you. It's typically what we think holy means, but it actually means set apart or perfect. And so God, now that they have sin and they chose what I always call the opt-out tree, because there was another tree that would make them live forever, not just the cool fruit. And I don't know what fruit it was on the live forever tree, if it even exists anymore. It's called the tree of life. But we know that it's in Revelation. It's in heaven and it has 12 different fruits, and I don't know if they're fruits we're familiar with or fruits we've never seen before, but every month, a new fruit on there. So it never gets old, and they just eat from it, and they live forever, this tree of life, or there's this tree of death, and they chose to do that one. What is it about being told not to do something that makes us want to touch it? Or don't cross this line, your parents have put an imaginary line on the seat in the back with you and your sibling. You're not allowed to touch each other. But oh boy, did you go up and down that line like you were a Rottweiler with a fence between you and somebody else. Just to bother them, right? And that sets this problem between them that sets this whole thing in motion. 
where God knew they would fall, knew how to get them back if they would choose to, but still wouldn't force it on somebody. You see, without choice, there is no freedom. If you don't have a choice, then you're not really free. Like if you're friends with somebody because they're being forced to be your friend or they're being paid to be your friend, they're not really your friend. And you're not really experiencing that love because they're not really 100% free. And so God gives them that choice to be free from him in a bad way of experiencing freedom. And they do that. And God makes a way for them to be back with him. Now, if you're familiar with Jesus, you know that the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross paid for our penalty so that we could be free from the penalty that we had on us because we would be free from our sin. That's pretty cool. But before Jesus came, because he's waiting, he was waiting for this perfect time in history, and we'll talk about that later this week, but the per- weekend, perfect time in history to come and to do that. And in the meantime, they would do something that was just a shadow of that thing. Just a shadow. And so that reminds me of something. In 1977, I wasn't born yet, all right? I would be born in 1979 at the very end of my first president that I was alive for, Jimmy Carter. Those two months, I don't remember anything. Just kidding. All right, so this is something that came out in 1977. Throw this up there for a second. This is a box. A box. Star Wars had come out that year. A New Hope It's now called episode four and so forth, but it had just come out and it was just Star Wars on the first release, and they added that in the second release, but, but it came out there. Nobody knew if it would be popular. Nobody. The actors thought it was going to flop, but they were getting paid. Alec Guinness, who played Obi-Wan, was an accomplished actor who had been in Lawrence of Arabia and several other movies. He thought it was going to flop. He even told his family, I'm in some sci-fi thing. I don't think it's going to do well. They had not heard the soundtrack. You've all heard the music, whether you've seen the movie or not. Da, 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 da. Anyway, they hadn't heard that. They weren't acting to a soundtrack. Like a normal movie with guns, where they're firing blanks and they get to hear a pa 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 while they're acting. They were just going like, they had been told, several of them had to be told not to say pew pew. <laughs> because it was doing nothing. And they were going to add it later. No sounds. They were holding this, these little things that had just like a, looked like a clothes hanger sticking out of it so they could know where to add on the film, each individual film, where to add the blue or green thing to make it look like a lightsaber. Like somebody going through with like a pen almost. I mean, this is how they're just like, I mean, just clack, clack. And they had to be told not to make sounds with that too. And they didn't think it was going to be any good. And then it comes out. And John Williams, who had done Jaws, but not really a whole lot of other things. Is that really like, I could have composed that, I feel like, that one. And somebody goes, I don't know if I could do that. I'm not that talented. But I can do the first part. He comes out with a Star Wars soundtrack. Everybody hears it. It's amazing. Everybody's telling everybody. It stays in the theater way longer than it's supposed to stay in the theater. And all of a sudden, Christmas is coming up, and they're like, 
Uh, kids are wanting Star Wars toys. They're all asking for it. There's no Star Wars toys. Nobody had thought to make Star Wars toys. Star Wars toys? Should we make Star Wars toys? Kenner, can you make us some Star Wars toys? They're like, send us some pictures. Oh, no, we're not going to be able to put them out yet. We do have the prototypes. We know what they look like. They look like these weird-looking characters right here, right? And so people could buy this box to wrap under the tree that told them in four to six weeks they might if we're lucky, start shipping some stuff out. And here's the inside of that box. It's a little stand-up thing. You can poke out the little holes where you can stick their foot down in it and they can all stand there, but you don't have it. And there were kids all over America who got this as like their main present because they were essentially buying whatever, how many figures are there, 11, something like that? Um, 12? Looks like 12 to me. Mm-hmm. 12. All right. 12 figures, but you got nothing on Christmas. You're playing with nothing. You have this cardboard box. And I wonder how many people cut those little characters out of the cardboard box and was like, hey, you're never going to stop me. <laughs> but this thing today on eBay, if you were going to buy this little set right here, I believe this one originally, it went for, it went to close to $1,000 with no, again, no figures. I don't like people just selling this thing right here. Um, it's, it's pretty crazy. This is what Hebrews 10 is like. People are doing things for years, hundreds and hundreds of years in the Jewish culture that are just shadows of something that's going to happen. It doesn't actually do anything. It just is a picture of something that will do something. It doesn't take away the people's sin. It gets their heart in the right attitude of we're looking forward to the time where God can take this away, but it doesn't actually do that. It's like these Star Wars early bird things. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. And starting in verse 1, it says, the law, all these things they had to do, is a shadow of good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, never, well, never means never, right? But in the Greek, it's a uh, never. By the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. They would try these things over and over again, but it could not bring the freedom back that they once had. They were living in a new freedom, a freedom that wasn't necessarily good, a freedom to choose which sins they were going to do, even a freedom to try to do good. But none of the good would ever make them right with God. They couldn't undo the fact that they had sinned. Isaiah says our righteousness is filthy rags. No matter how much good they piled up, none of it would alter their relationship with God and bring them closer to him. It says in verse two, otherwise would they not have stopped being offered? Like, why would you keep offering them if it worked? I offered this lamb on the altar. Now I am forgiven. No, no, no. They had to do it again and again and again and again because then they would sin again and they would sin again and nothing would permanently forgive them. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased, talking about his father, then I said, here am I, 
It is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. Jesus steps out of heaven, willing to be that sacrifice for us instead of the blood of bulls and goats and different things like that. You see, a bull can't take somebody's place because we're, we're not bulls and we're not cows. We're not goats. Like, you're like hey, we'll do a swap out here. You're guilty of sin. Here's a goat that would like to die for you. Like, no, that, that, that doesn't work. It's got to be another person, but it can't be another person who's guilty too. It's got to be somebody who's sinless. And because he's an infinite God and 100% man, he could be the one to step into this for us and have an infinite sacrifice that would cover anyone who would receive it. Then it says, first he said, did I just read that? Yeah. Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you do not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here am I, I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. He sets apart away the shadow of what was to come and brings the real thing. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, day after, every day, this was going on. Every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again and offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, talking about Jesus, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, sometimes people can read that and be like, his enemies are going to be made his footstool. So Jesus did that so he could really stick it to the people who won't follow him. That's not what this is talking about at all. If we don't know Christ, we're the enemies of God. Scripture's clear about that. And we're brought underneath him, underneath his authority. It's about him trying to reach us, not step on us. All right? Does that kind of make sense? It says in 13, nope, I just read that. 14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more and where they have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Now, sometimes we start this way prior to coming to Christ where we feel like I've got to get rid of these things in my life to come to him. He has made the final sacrifice. And there's other times where we're already believers, we've given our life to Christ, but now we're trying to live under the law. Not the law he's written on our hearts where we're just trying to serve him, but trying to justify ourselves before God by doing the right things. That's not why we should be doing the right things. It's because we're letting God change us and transform us. When I worked in waterproofing basements years ago, I'm gonna close with this story. And we waterproof basements, we would dig all the way down to the footers 
That's at the very base of your house if you have a basement. Anybody have a basement in here? You have a basement in here? How did it fit? Just kidding. All right, anyways. That's, that's how you know I'm a dad. Anyway, so we would dig it all the way out with this big backhoe thing, and then we'd scrape the dirt off the walls. We'd find the cracks in the walls where it was leaking. We'd use a hammer drill to make those a little bit bigger so we could put hydraulic cement in those things, let that dry, then spray a rubberized coat of tar on the whole thing that can stretch as the building settles. If you had brushed tar put on the outside of your house, it's just a matter of time until your basement leaks. Sorry to break that to you. Um, it will, when your house settles, it will crack along with the foundation, and in comes the water. It's just a matter of time. Trust me. All right. The rubberized tire will stretch with it. Then we would put these dowel boards that are styrofoam to insulate it and only um, rivet gun them in at the top above the grade. Nobody cares about this part. Anyways, then we would fill the dirt back in the hole. And then, because they would call us months later when their bushes and stuff we put back settled, and there's like this hole there. Because if you ever tried to put something back into a hole, if you've dug a hole and you try to put the dirt back, now that won't all fit. You're like, what happened here? There's air in the dirt now, and it's, yeah, it's all. So we would take like a PVC pipe, and we would put a hose in the end, and we would poke it down in there, and we would just run the water, their water, on their money. And we would run the water for like an hour and a half. And a lot of times we would, we would then go to lunch during it and come back. I had packed my lunch. I didn't want to go where the guys were going, so I stayed there. So I just kind of pull up a chair nearby, and then I'm, I'm eating and everything, but then I notice, I'm like, oh, we should put it over there. So I'm just walking around, poking this thing in, eating the sandwich and everything. And as I'm doing this, and it's starting to settle, it's starting to pull down the tar paper on the back that's against the wall. The tar paper's toward the top near the dowel board and everything. Anyway, it's starting to pull that off. I'm like, oh, I need to push that back up before stuff gets on the rubberized coating. And I step over into this mess right here, and uh, this is going to kind of illustrate what was happening there, if I can unfurl that real quick. Um, so I step over there, and when I put my foot down, my foot goes into this really deep. Like immediately it goes all the way up like mid-calf. And I'm like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? And so I just try to go like this and pull it out. And as I do that, my other foot sinks down in there. This whole thing's saturated. And then like, you know, all the cartoons and stuff, always have quicksand, and I, you never really actually run into quicksand in your life. We were like inventing it, but it was Virginia red clay. And so I actually heard it, like the flarp things that you put your finger in, like that. Like it just took my foot in, it was like, and I was like, and as I start pulling, I'm going slowly, this dirt, it was about, about up to here, right? And so I'm like, oh my goodness. And every time I would do it, it would just come up just a little bit more. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. I don't even think I can straighten my foot out. Everybody's at lunch. And I started thinking, this basement has a 10-foot ceiling. There's 10 foot of this stuff. And I had stuck the stupid hose with the PVC in further than I can reach away so I could step over there and do this. It's still being watered. And I can't even turn it off. And I'm like, okay, I'll just go incredibly still. Incredibly still. I stood here for a long time, and then all of a sudden, I started sinking. Just doing nothing because of the stupid hose near me. I'm like, oh my goodness. It's going, it's going to like 
form a pocket or some, it's going to pour out somewhere and it's just going to suck me under. And they're never going to find me. So now I'm starting to panic. And it's like, <laughs> like somebody trying to get on a pair of jeans that are way too small for them. I get way up there. And by the time the guys got back, it was at my chest and I was having trouble breathing. I couldn't get in and out. So I couldn't yell around the house. I'm like, guys, guys. They come back around there. They're like, where's the stupid kid? Because I was younger than everybody else. He probably walked off to the store. That's how they really talked. Well, one of them. The other guy talked kind of normal, but he's from Boston, so they parked the car in the garage. Anyways, so, oh, this is higher than me. I just realized I should have got more uh, fabric. Lame illustration. Don't look at my feet. Anyways, <laughs> they finally come around there. They see me. They immediately were worried. No, they started laughing at me. What an idiot. Like, what are you doing in there? Like, how'd you do that? I'm like, I was trying to fix tar paper and everything. I'm going to die. Can you guys pull me out? So they try to pull my arm and everything. I'm like, you're just pulling me backwards. Stop it. So he gets on the backhoe, brings the bucket close to me. He's like, grab onto the teeth. They're not sharp. They're just like big. I grab onto that. I'm holding on for dear life. And he starts to pull it up. And I'm like just trying to do a you know, pull up with it. And I feel like it's going to break my ankle. Like it's turning my foot. But this thing has got me. It's like somebody's on the other end with a straw going, <laughs> and I'm like, stop, stop, stop. I let go and everything. And as I let go, because I'm like way up now, I sink further. I'm like, you're going to kill me. You're going to kill me. So one of them decides to take the PVC pipe off, finally turn off the water. Nobody had done that yet. Turn off the water, and he takes the PVC pipe, and he starts poking it all around me, like not even caring. I'm like, easy. Easy. He's poking it all around me and everything. He's adding air into it to get underneath me to break the suction. And then I start pulling onto that. And every time it feels like it hurts, he stabs it near my ankle, one time directly into the ankle. And I'm like, yeah! Anyways, so he keeps doing that with this big pipe. And finally, it lets go of me. and just like closes up where I was. Like, you know, I'm like, this is... This is how I just expected to die as a child watching Scooby-Doo. But here's the thing. The more we try to do good, righteousness that's filthy rags, the more we try to do that and it piles up and God's like, that's, I can't accept that, I can't accept that. And the more our sin piles up and everything, us trying to do good to erase that, we're just standing in quicksand. We're not becoming free, but we are drowning in our own freedom. That's the ironic thing about freedom, that it does both. And Christ didn't come to put you in bondage. He came to set you free from the things that now have us. The sin that so easily entangles us. The sin that trips us up. The sin that easily besets you, depending on what version you're looking at. And God has come to make sure that we're free. And Jesus knows exactly where to put that PVC pipe. He knows exactly how to get right to the heart of the matter and to pierce our heart to the point where we say, I can't, okay, I can't get out of this. It's not going to happen. I need you. 
And he'll never, ever walk around the side of the house and say, what an idiot. He knows. He knows what sin has done to us, and he knows what sin did to him because he took it on himself on the cross for us. Let me pray for you guys. God, I thank you so much that you desire freedom for us. And as we talk more about that this weekend, Lord, we have to get to the point where we're going to decide not to exercise some of our freedom, the freedom that takes us further from you, and to step into the freedom that you offer, that you've purchased, that you've done for us. We thank you that we're not living in a time of the shadow of this future thing you're going to do, but Lord, you've already done it. We can look back to it and we can see countless lives that have been transformed and been made free. I pray that as we leave this weekend, that each person could say that they live in freedom and that they're freedom bound. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.